We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. What we've got here is failure to communicate. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. This is the Sorted Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1986's Top Gun, directed by Tony Scott and written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. Here's a clip. Mav, you must have sold under a lucky star, huh? I mean, first the MIG, and then you guys slide into Cougar Spot. No, we didn't slide into Cougar Spot. It was ours, okay? Yeah, well, some pilots wait their whole career just to see a MIG up close. Guess you guys are lucky and famous, huh? No, you mean notorious. I'll see you later. You can count on it. They were abused children. We're gonna have a good time. Always. Mm. Okay, I guess it's my turn, isn't it? All right. Bet is twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. You have to have carnal knowledge of a lady this time <laughs> on the premises. On the premises. Come on, Mav. Bet's a bet. I don't know. It just uh, just doesn't seem fair for you, I mean. But uh, she's lost that loving feeling. She's like, no, she hasn't. Yes, she, she has. She has not lost that look because she's lost it, Matt. Come on. I hate it when she does that. Excuse me, miss. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry, I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, believe me, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. All right, that was a clip from Top Gun, again, directed by Tony Scott and starring Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Tom Skerritt. Oh, just a list of a list of people. Uh, we're finally back. It's been a while since we've done a Sword Cinema podcast, just due to various things going on in everybody's life. But I think we may be stabilizing here, uh, unlike Tom Cruise's plane and scene from Top Gun. Uh, joining me to top, talk about this movie is, of course, Ricky D. What's up, Patrick? I am so excited to finally talk about Top Gun. We've been trying to record this podcast <laughs> for about eight weeks I got so many questions. This is a movie that I think I've watched maybe over 25 times. Because A, it's it's one of those movies that you can easily just watch over and over and over. B, it's always on TV. And especially now because the sequel is coming out, I guess, in 2021 at this point in time. Um, they seem to be airing this film on TV like every weekend. So I've now watched it since we... Since I think I think we we decided to record this review, like about eight weeks ago, I would say, right? So it was pretty long ago, yeah. <laughs> right in the past eight weeks, I think I've seen this movie about five times now, and I have a lot of questions because there's still a lot of things I still have not figured out. 
like who exactly is the u.s at war with like they're flying over the indian ocean i'm confused is it iraq is it the russians like like what is going on here we were not at war with anybody necessarily but they're just uh well we'll get to that in a little bit here we'll get to all your questions and i think i can answer most of them now i have not seen it 25 times although i would bet that i have seen parts of it at least 25 times because you're right it's been on tv for i'm not even exaggerating i i've seen this movie at least 25 times this was the first time in a long time that i actually watched it start to finish i can say that um i don't remember the last time that i watched it start to finish and it is a strange movie that and we'll get into that because i think it's structured kind of strange and it does some weird things um and it does some awesome things too. And awesome is a great way to describe Tom Cruise as a top gun <laughs> because that's what it's trying to be. But first I want to ask you this, because we ask this uh, about every movie that we end up talking about. Why did you pick top gun? Well, the, I mean, the main reason is because they are releasing a sequel, which was supposed to come out in 2020. It is now delayed. It's coming out next year. So whenever I try to choose a movie, I try to pick a movie that, A, I really, really want to watch, B, a movie that I think I really enjoy and I think is worth seeing, worth discussing, something that I think we would have a lot to talk about. Um, And I actually really, really like this movie. And the thing about this movie is that, for some reason, a lot of people think Top Gun is a terrible film, and it's really not. It's cheesy. Um, The dialogue and script is, at times... I mean, it's not great. Like, let's 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 be honest here, right? No. But no, but the thing not. about this movie, what's it's it's, bad it, though? But it's fascinating because the thing the thing about this movie, first of all, I love Tony Scott. Like, I I think he's a yeah. great filmmaker. Rest in peace, Tony Scott. Um, I love a lot of his movies. But the thing about Top Gun, like this movie came out in 1986. But the way he shot the movie, like the fact that he actually uses real airplanes, they are flying these real airplanes and when i say they i mean like the actors are inside the planes there's no cgi um the way it's filmed like the cinematography the fact that it has this sort of like this music video-esque vibe and look to it but at the same time it's like it feels like it's the start of those hollywood action blockbusters like the rock like con air like michael bay movies right um, well, we should say this is a Bruckheimer uh, production, so yes. it, it is uh, along those lines. Yeah, for sure. And I'm actually a huge fan of Tom Cruise. Like, at least Tom Cruise, the actor, the stuntman, the producer, the the director. I mean, did he actually direct anything? Maybe not. He has but... not directed anything I'm aware of, no. No, I think maybe a short film or maybe he... – anyways, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm actually a huge fan of Tom Cruise. I remember we used to always argue between Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise on this podcast. And I used to always say that I would pick Tom Cruise any day over Brad Pitt. I think with time, Brad Pitt has become a better actor. But Tom Cruise is just like, I mean, the guy, there's no one like Tom Cruise. When you think of movie star nowadays, the guy does his own stunts. I don't I don't even know how you, ins- how, how, how do you get insurance for Tom Cruise? Like when you're going to film the next Mission Impossible movie. Like, how does that work? <laughs> you know what he I mean? probably puts up his own insurance money, to tell you the truth. <laughs> He's probably like, I'll tell you what, if I get hurt, I'll give you the $100 million that, you know, that it costs or whatever. Yeah, and so the thing about this film is it changed so many things for Hollywood. Like, it made Tom Cruise a star. Like, he was in a few movies prior. I'm a huge fan of Risky Business. 
But this movie made him a sex symbol. It made him a, a gigantic star. It made the entire team, including Tony Scott, like A-list directors and producers. It changed the look and feel and vibe and of action movies in Hollywood moving forward. Um, it made Meg Ryan a star. I mean, she was in a soap opera prior, but this was her first movie role. And I think she's incredible in it, despite the fact that she's only in like three scenes. We talked about Kelly McGillis in the, in the movie The Witness. We reviewed it not too long ago. Um, she's great in this. The, and the thing, the thing that I find so, again, fascinating about this film is the fact that it does revolve around a romance between Maverick and Charlie. But yet there's no chemistry at all between these two actors. And yet it somehow works. So I want to, I definitely, there's a lot to unpack here in this movie. I mean, you're definitely right. I'm not a, you know, Tom Cruise hater. I actually think, especially when he was younger, you're right with the comparison with Brad Pitt, young Brad Pitt versus young Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise easily wins, chose way more interesting projects. Older Brad Pitt has become a better actor and chooses more interesting projects now than older Tom Cruise does. But still, nevertheless, he is the last of a dying breed, which was the movie star. You know, the guy that could guarantee you $100 million because people would come to see Tom Cruise. And that started with Top Gun. Um, all right. So <laughs> let's talk about the, the romance here. Let's, let's dive into that first before we get into the, you know, all the, the cinematography and the plane footage, which I think is ultimately the biggest draw in this movie. So the romance is weird because it starts out really, uh, it really focuses on it. And it's a, you know, they have a couple of really great scenes and their flirtations uh, are really great. Um, and then it culminates in that sort of that lunch and then, you know, whatever he goes and takes a shower and you know, it's all over with. Right. Um, then it dies. Have you noticed that in the second half of this movie, they completely forget about her character and she's no longer a character anymore. She's just there to support Tom Cruise's meltdown. Like she's only it, like, it has nothing to do with romance anymore. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. So they so filmed the sex scene after the movie was finished. And they also filmed the elevator scene, which is the only scene in the movie where the two actors have real chemistry. Chemistry, yes. Where there's electricity in the air. Right. Yeah. So, so basically what happened was they had a test audience watch the movie and they weren't happy with the fact that they really never ended up hooking up like they never they never had sex and they never ended up in a relationship so people were like sort of like upset and so they decided to film those two additional scenes and so the original script from my understanding it wasn't really supposed to focus so heavily on the romance because really there, there wasn't much romance it was just no. them sort of like flirting but it never really went anywhere and her as a character dies too. She's like she's kind of an interesting person that to explore. It could have been a really great sort of dual thing, but in the second half of the movie, she gets lost among all the other things that happen when Goose dies, and you know, all you know, Tom Cruise goes into his depression, and then she just becomes, uh, like I said, a support character. She's just there just to emotionally support him, and nothing else. Her character disappears utterly, which is weird. You don't normally see that. In, in like structure wise, you don't normally see that in a screenplay where they've set something up so much and then they totally ab abandon it. And yet the two, two are so likable. Well, I don't know if he's likable in the second half of the movie. We can talk about his character who is kind of like a little kid in many ways. And she's the adult in the room. But, um, but for some reason that you still are cheering for them to sort of get together. You know, I have a theory. I, you know, <laughs> you know how, um, 
you know how sometimes actors they get so into the role they become the character no matter where they go even if the camera's not on and filming mm-hmm. method acting and so my theory is tom cruise who initially turned down the role several times he did not want to film this movie they got him in an airplane they flipped the airplane upside down they were doing barrel rolls uh he got all excited he found this like this I don't know, just this this need for speed, right? <laughs> yep. He called up the so producer began. and he's like, I'm in. I want to do this movie. And then he gets on set. They make him ride a motorcycle. And it's like, I feel like Tom Cruise became Maverick. Like, I feel like whoever Tom Cruise was before filming Top Gun, he no longer is. I think he became the character Maverick. He still drives a motorcycle in every single movie. He still mm-hmm. acts like Maverick in every single movie moving forward. Like, yeah, sure, he's had, like, a few, like, you know, there's Born on the Fourth of July, and there's, like, Interview with the Vampire. But I think even in real life, I think he has become Maverick. Like, the guy fell in love with his character. And I mention those two scenes because, okay, first of all, the sex scene is, like, the weirdest scene in the entire film not just because of the blue lighting which clashes against the rest of the movie and the reason uh, i think they use the lighting is because both actors no longer look the same because they were filming uh, a different movie at that point in time like this was filmed after top gun was uh, supposed to have been wrapped up uh, you know filming and so tom cruise and kelly mcgillis they didn't look at all the same and so they had to darken the lighting and they used these blue gels to sort of hide the fact that they look different i don't know if it was like a different hair color or whatever it was they just look different so they they had to you know get clever with the cinematography but it's like it's a such... james cameron sex scene but, but but the thing is you know the reason why, okay the thing about the sex scene is when we talk about how they have no chemistry like look at the way he kisses her like he's biting her like it's so odd like he, they're not even kissing it's like he's he's like chewing on her her cheek or something it's so bizarre and and, and then you have again the elevator scene in which i think is the one scene where they actually do feel like it feels like they're actually a, a, yeah it feels like there's an attraction in yeah. the elevator and so the two scenes were filmed afterwards and i think again theory I think on set, because she fell in love with, um, who does she end up marrying her? Because Anthony Edwards ended up with Meg Ryan, right? Well, they, they were already married. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But but she she ended up with, I forget who she ended up with. Was it? Uh... She, she, she comes back to Tom Cruise at the very end of the movie. Remember, he's, he's in the airport, and she decides, like, he's going to be an instructor at, at Top no, Gun. No, 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 no. I'm talking about in real life, though. In real life, she started oh, dating someone. Oh, oh, it I'm wasn't Val Kilmer. It was someone. Anyways, maybe it was Tom Skerritt. I think it was Tom Skerritt. So she started dating someone on set, right? And so I think that's the thing. I think that, that like, the fact that she started dating someone on set sort of, like, complicated things. But I also, I also think Tom Cruise is gay. And that's just, like, a theory. A lot of people think this. But there's just no chemistry here at all whatsoever and it's weird because he was a sex symbol like tom cruise and i think he's a really good looking guy especially when he was younger like you look at um a few good a few good men you look at top gun he has this like look to him like i like the dark hair his like his clean cut haircut you know the just like everything about him the way he dresses and all that and so he was kind of like a sex symbol but it's weird because it didn't really last long like he went from sex symbol to like action movie star like there was like far and away and that's about it, right? Well, he had the firm. 
Uh, I mean, he, he was definitely he had range in the firm. I mean, but he kind of was like at that point, he was a movie star. And, 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 you know, even in Rain Man, he's supposed to always be the good looking guy. Right. And even though he did choose a lot of interesting movies again, like, OK, Born on the Fourth of July, it's certainly not supposed to be a sex symbol or, you know, whatever. But uh, but I think a, a lot of his movies, he at least was supposed to be the good looking guy. Um, yeah, and but, he, but it he didn't was last considered... long. There's like, like there's a color of money there's cocktail but then it was about it was about 1988 when he made rain man and then born on fourth of july like i mean he did far away in 1992 like you know yes but I, I, maybe i'm wrong because interview with the vampire nope. now that i think about it uh jerry mcguire definitely... yeah yeah jerry mcguire i mean he, he look his his interest in action movies definitely started with the very first mission impossible which is the first movie that his production company produced uh with paul wagner i believe um so that definitely set him on his current trajectory up until that point he was still mixing in stuff because he did you know I, I mean wasn't magnolia in the late 90s that was like 98 or something like that um he he was still doing a little odd project tropic thunder he, oh, <laughs> i was gonna say there's your sex symbol right there <laughs> um <laughs> less grossman <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, he, he he sort of transitioned into just pure action movie. And maybe that's because he was getting older and he just wanted to do it as long as he can. Liam Neeson has had a very similar uh, career trajectory, though not as not as successful as Tom Cruise. It's like they both started off doing serious dramatic stuff and, and taking risks. And then they just sort of settled into an action groove. Um, well, I saw this movie for the first time as a young kid. And I had a huge crush on Tom Cruise. Like I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. And it's like this cliche, but everyone says it. It's the guy who every who all the women want to be with and all the men want to be like. And when I saw Tom Cruise, I just like I thought he was like the coolest thing. I like like I think the fashion in this movie, like the actual wardrobe, like specifically what he wears is amazing. Like I would wear it. Like I want to know who did the costumes for this movie. Nobody talks about it. It's amazing. United States Navy did the costumes. Well, this movie. he looks, <laughs> he looks hot. Like he looks good. Not just him, everyone. Like, and I mean, like also, you know, we're talking about the romance and we, we completely forgot to mention that this movie is incredibly homoerotic. Like everyone always makes fun of the volleyball scene. Sure. Um, but like it's hard to see any and kind Val of Kilmer romance. At him. Yeah, but it's like, it's it's hard <laughs> to get that that romance and a chemistry between the two actors when your movie is homoerotic and like your script like forgets about her, Charlie, right? Mm -hmm. Focuses She's an on him. In the second half of the movie, yeah. Yeah. It's about the bromance between him and Goose. That's the real romance in this movie, and it's a tragic one, of course. But that is the real. It's like he can never get over a goose, and he's just trying to get over a goose. That's his. That's the. That's what becomes the thrust in the second half of the movie. Yeah, and I, you know, what my oh, we're gonna talk about this later. But I think my favorite scene. I'm not saying it's the best scene, but my favorite scene is the scene when they go to the diner and they start playing piano, and Anthony Edwards is there with Meg Ryan and and you know Maverick and Charlie. So it's Maverick, Charlie, Goose, and I can't remember the character's name that Meg Ryan played. But uh, and they started playing Great Balls of Fire. There are some odd people that show up, though, like Tim Robbins <laughs> shows up, and oh, you only ever really get to see him with the, like his helmet on and his mask. But Merlin, it's so... he plays Merlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unmistakable uh, actually, you know Tim what Robbins. I really love? I love the end of the movie Get when they play the, the credits. <laughs> yes. And and they actually show the name of the actor. I, I I don't know why more movies don't do this, especially when you have like an all star cast like this. But yeah, like I love watching like Tom Cruise as Maverick. 
Val Kilmer has Iceman. Like, I love the nicknames. And by the way, what is your favorite nickname? Like, if you had to choose one. Well, I actually like Merlin. I think that's a pretty good one. I don't know that I would go with Goose. I like Merlin. It seems like that would be the escape, the guy that can escape from any situation. He just comes up with, you know, magic every now and again. Right. So I think Merlin is the best, but I wouldn't choose it. I would choose Maverick only because my name Rick is in there. Maverick. Oh, sure. Uh, So it just makes sense for me. But I do think Merlin is by far the best. Um, I mean, Iceman is pretty cool. Charlie just doesn't make any sense. Goose, Viper, eh. Uh, what what is up with Val Kilmer in this movie? Like the way he acts, like he's like, <sighs> he's like, what is what is that? <laughs> you know, he was uh, he he came up with a character who's super alpha, right? He's trying to assert his dominance, but also in an intellectual way. The idea is that you know Maverick is a guy that flies by instinct, and Iceman's a guy that does it by the book, right? So Iceman is clearly the better navy pilot maverick might be a more instinctual pilot but iceman will always be the better like by the book pilot he's a guy that the navy is going to trust with their hundred million dollar machine way more than a guy like maverick i would hope right like maverick (laughs) you know he, he he may have skills but that doesn't mean that he's honed his craft kind of thing like iceman has um so i think val kilmer plays him in that way as this like cool I mean, obviously, his name is Iceman for a reason, but he's supposed to be like he, he's he wants to dominate this younger, like wild, wild dog. And he is he's like almost playing him like he's the elder statesman in a way that they're not even on the same level. But he's got to kind of keep this guy in check or this guy might do something incredible and sort of usurp some of that power away from him. And I thought that's kind of what he does. And like the biting scene is an example of that. It's like it's almost like they're nipping at each other. Like he's just saying, like, stay away from me. I, I This is my I know I own Top Gun. I am the the best here, and you're just some little upstart puppy. And Maverick is a lot like a puppy. I mean, he, he you know the character really is. He doesn't understand a lot about anything adult in this movie. He is he's just a, these are big. The planes are toys to him. The situation is a game to him. He doesn't know anything about women other than that he you know is attracted to them and he's horrible at hitting on them frankly <laughs> and if he okay, didn't look like Tom by the way, Cruise, we have to it would talk never about work <laughs> we have to talk about that when he hits on her initially for the first time in the bar is and this is before he even realizes that she's like going to be his supervisor and or teacher whatever it is yeah um he follows her into the washroom like that's a little creepy that's like, a super creepy man <laughs> super, super creepy. creepy like i get like okay first of all the whole scenario in which him, he and Goose decide to sing to her. I mean, it's a little far fetched, but but they're yeah. friends, right? They probably yeah. practice the routine like who knows how many times they've they've tried. Sure, it. it's um, stupid, but it works, and it's kind of charming. And you could see how that's at least that's at least I'm okay with that. But again, it's sort of puppyish, you know, like understanding of you know, yeah. But <laughs> the fact that he he follows her to the washroom is creepy also after the volleyball game we got to talk about the volleyball game soon but after the volleyball game he runs to her house for a dinner date which is really weird because she invites him over for dinner it's a date she's the teacher it's just weird right to me it's that's like a tinder date like let's hook up right away um but then he shows up late and (laughs) i i still i still I, i i find this so strange the first thing he does when he walks in he's like can i take take a shower can i use your shower 
Like, I didn't have time to shower after playing my volleyball game, even though the whole entire film, there's all these dudes in the shower. Like, there's, like, at least 15 minutes of footage of guys just standing around <laughs> in a shower. But for some right. reason, he didn't have time to take a shower, shows up at her house, and he's asking if he can take a shower before eating dinner. I, like, that is weird. Like, you're right. This guy does not know how to act or behave around women. No, and it's a obviously he's extremely confident, but for all the wrong reasons, kind of. He's not good at anything in this movie except for flying. That's the o literally the only thing he's good at. He's not even a good friend to Goose or anything like that. We don't really see any evidence that he actually was ever a good friend to Goose. They may like each other, and they may work well together, and they might have been friends. But I don't think that he was – it was Goose that supported him. It was not really the other way around. Um so, yeah, he's kind of like he's a super confident guy, but he, he, he doesn't really like have a foundation for that confidence. So everything he does just comes off as strange. Yeah, so I'm watching a volleyball scene right now on YouTube as we are talking about Top Gun. Like, it's just such a weird movie. Like, I don't I don't know who exactly the target audience is. Was it women? Was it gay men? Was it everyone? Was it like a family? Like, because like there's, there's moments in this movie when I'm watching, I'm like, it feels like they're trying to recruit people to the Navy, right? Like, cause you think of all the movies prior, especially in between Top Gun and, and Vietnam, like you have all of these movies that are like anti-war films and then you get mm -hmm. Top Gun and all of these dudes look so cool and they're so good looking. But then like, you know, you have, the love interest who doesn't really end up being a love interest towards the end of the movie, who's named Charlie, which is kind of like a dude's name. And like, you know what I mean? And then like you said it best, it's really about the bromance between him and goose. But then you have this, these two guys like Iceman and Maverick that are, that they are always sparring, like, but they're not really ever really making much contact. It's kind of like, it's kind of like we just get the gaze. Like Iceman's always staring down Maverick. Like he's always watching him. It's just such a bizarre mm -hmm. film. They're always looking at each other. All right, so I can kind of see like they, I think they were going for everybody, by the way, because they kept everything sort of restrained. And there's just hints of stuff, right? They're 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 it's it's subtle enough that you could make an explanation for it you know any way that you want like all those guys there it could be something to appeal to to straight women like oh you know whatever like and the romance thing oh look it's it's mostly about the machines right i mean this is this is kind of a recruiting movie for the the military i'm sure they saw some recruitments go up for this they had to approve of the script uh before they would allow the actual planes to be used right because in the footage where the planes are flying around doing their, those maneuvers, those are actual Navy and Air Force. I'm not sure if the Air Force is involved at all, but they're actual Navy pilots uh, doing those maneuvers. And the military wasn't going to allow that unless they had script approval. And so they threw out anything that was kind of negative towards the military. And thus, I think you are left with this like super positive military movie, which fit very well in the 80s, incidentally. I know we had movies like Platoon and everything like that, but it was the Reagan era and there was definitely like the Soviet Union was still around. So, I mean, it, it really is super positive because yeah. Goose does die, but he doesn't like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a sacrifice. He, it's like a sacrifice, but also it's sort of the way he dies. It, it It's not like because he's a bad pilot. It's just, it was like, it was bad luck. You know, it could have happened to anyone type thing. 
Well, um, it's a tool. Everything in this movie is a tool for Maverick to grow up, right? He's the he's the kid. He's a little kid, and he's like I say, he's playing in a sandbox with his toys at the beginning of the movie. And every single person around him, or every single thing that happens, is supposed to help him grow. It doesn't matter what happens to the rest of these people or what they think of their own lives. Like, never mind that that Goose's kid is now going to be fatherless, and you know his wife. Who knows what's going to happen to her? I'm sure there's a pension coming her way, but that's about it. Uh, it just matters that Maverick learned a lesson, right? And they all center around Maverick. They all want to help Maverick. All of his commanding officers are like, we got to get this kid back in the air. And, oh, it's too bad Maverick couldn't be here. And, you know, even Meg Ryan has to absolve Maverick of the guilt because that's what he wants, right? Because he's the depressed one. And Charlie is like, this happens to everybody and you got to get back. And they're all there just for Maverick. It's It's basically made for Maverick's. Maverick is the center of the universe, and they all revolve around him. And that's they, they're they're of very little importance. He is of utmost importance, apparently. It's that to me is also strange. What is that? That a script would would do that so completely. You don't generally see that. Usually, at least there's one other person because there's no villain in this movie. And you were gonna you were gonna ask some questions later about who they're fighting. <laughs> I have no idea what the country is, but I would assume it's a communist uh, country of some sort. Um, one of the SSRs, but uh, yeah, there's no villain in the movie. Like uh, you got, you got Strickland who rides his ass a little bit when they're on the aircraft carrier, but uh, he, he's not a villain. And uh, so there, there isn't, and there isn't like a partner. Goose is Goose's comic relief for the most part, and he's a tool for for Maverick's growth. But usually, at least in a movie like this, you would have an actual romance so that there would be two characters. You need at least two characters, right? Like a villain or a romance. And this movie doesn't really have either. I'm, um, I, I mean, I agree. Like, we don't really know who the quote unquote villain is. And, but like, it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, I know Goose does die, but whatever. It's not that type of film. But what, like, you know, going back to what I said earlier on on the podcast about how they use like real planes, I'm shocked at how much money this movie costs to make because I kind of feel like if they made this movie nowadays, like I'm, I'm one on, I want to know how much a sequel costs, for example. Um, like they only spent $1.8 million to use the planes and the aircraft carriers. Like nowadays it's like you spend 1.8 million just to blow up a milk truck. <laughs> right. Forget about an the, aircraft the fuel carrier. might cost. I would imagine that the Navy saw this as a potential opportunity and they knew that that footage was going to be so cool. And we need to get to this part too, because I, I, I do think that what makes Top Gun ultimately still watchable today is how freaking cool the plane scenes are. They are still amazing. But it's, it's yeah, amazing. I would say that like the, the Navy saw an opportunity and they probably gave them, I, I think what they did is they, they allowed them to like shoot some exercises and so they, they basically invited them onto an aircraft carrier and they invited them into this, you know, wherever their training facility was and allowed them to shoot stuff that was happening. And so maybe it, the, it didn't cost them the fuel. They didn't have to rent the planes. Maybe this stuff was sort of already going on. But uh, they also threw in some weird like I, I, don't, I didn't remember this from the first time or from ever watching it, really. But the odd like um, uh, product placements. <laughs> did you did you notice that this time around? No. Like like how like uh when when Maverick buzzes the tower when he's at Top Gun and later on the uh the tower chief is is chewing out Viper and all this stuff and he comes out the door and that kid this kid is walking by with like a Pepsi and they've turned 
the can perfectly so that you could read Pepsi, and then he knocks into the Tower Chief, and it spills more, you know, on him after he had spilled coffee up in the tower, and Mavic buzzed him. Uh, yeah, just like this Pepsi thing that was so obvious. They so obviously got a boatload of money from Pepsi for this. There are a few other things in there that I just found strange. Um, That's weird. I didn't even notice. Um, that, yeah, I didn't remember from last time. That one. That one stuck out especially because it's involved in a in a little bit of comedy. Well, but but, um, but like again, we you know we we we've, we've mentioned this like several times, but those scenes in which we actually see the 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 planes flying, like the the yeah. MIG, right? Um, they mounted the camera to the plane and they actually put the actors in the plane. I mean, I what actor nowadays is actually going to learn how to drive or is it drive a, a plane? Well, you fly, that, you fly, fly a plane. A plane? I, <laughs> I don't think that they flew that plane. Keep no, mind no, the not in this movie, but in the like... new movie, Tom Cruise is actually oh, sure. flying the plane. But in this movie, yeah. they actually put them in the plane. So they actually they had, I guess, them in the in the backseat. And so yes. apparently the only actor who didn't get uh, sick was Anthony Edwards. But then Tom Cruise became sort of like hooked and he just loved the idea of flying. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the fact, the, the bottom line is they actually got footage of these dudes flying these planes. And the, the stunt flying in the film is incredible. It's done by Scott Altman, who apparently became an astronaut later on. Um, and reading the trivia on the, on the Nintendo Movie Database uh, trivia page, which I don't know, I guess is true. When you talk about how the army or the navy wanted to use the movie specifically to hopefully recruit people in the near future well apparently that that is what they did in the states like after screenings they would set up a booth in the movie theater and try to get people to sign up sure. for the navy like i mean i i would guess that there are a lot of young people who saw this and they're like absolutely i want to be involved in this because it just seems like the coolest thing ever how could you not want to like like did you see her house by the way like just like her house like why wouldn't you want to live in that sort of neighborhood in a house that looks like it costs like five million dollars and then you're driving like i don't know like you're uh, you're driving like your motorcycle you're flying like this like era this plane like like it just like it it seems like it just everything about this movie oozes with cool like it's just a cool film yeah there's camaraderie, and I think that's a big appeal of it as well. You get to see, like, you know, the, the guys in the locker room and playing volleyball, and, and people like that sort of lifestyle. And, I, again, we cannot overstate – the real success of this movie, it was brilliant of them to go film this much actual, like, f- actual flying. Getting the actual planes in there, the F-14 Tomcat. And I, I can't remember what the MiGs, what kind of plane that is. But, um, yeah, I'd get that, that footage to me, watching that again, I was, I was sucked in. And, and – one last thing, though, like the, the flying is absolutely incredible and them shooting that was absolutely incredible. They make everything look so cool and it looks so much better than had they done miniatures, which would have been the case right now. And it looks better than any flying, any military plane flying scenes that I have seen since. Like Top Gun is still number one. It, like it is so, so cool. But we have to also give some credit to the musical score in this movie. <laughs> I was just going to say the real star of this movie is the soundtrack. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, right. let's, let's not score. forget that I'm Top sorry. Gun won an Oscar and it won an Oscar specifically for the song performed by Berlin. Right. Take my breath away. Yeah. Which is a great song. It's a great song. You've, you've also, you know, you've got Kenny Loggins in here, highway to the danger zone. I mean, there is just, there's some great stuff in here, but that, that Take My Breath Away theme plays throughout Top Gun, and it really, really, really works, man. It works. 
Highway to the Danger Zone still gets me pumped up. So I used to play the NES Top Gun game, which is not really a good game. Yes. But the reason why I love playing that game was because it had the 8-bit version of the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> like, Danger yep. Zone is such a great song. Um, it's a great, fantastic, like, amazing uh, soundtrack. Um, and, like, that's a, like that's, a, that's a thing about this movie. Like, I was, I was watching the documentary, which you can find on YouTube, The Making of Top Gun. And it seems like nobody wanted to be part of this movie. Like, the, um, Val Kilmer didn't want to make the movie. Tom Cruise didn't want to make the movie. Um, apparently, they approached, like, several musicians and pop artists, and nobody wanted to record a song for the movie. Uh, Berlin, like, Berlin is actually, like, a duet, right? And they split up after the, the recording of the song because she, I guess, the singer, she got all of the recognition and the fame, and whoever she collaborated with prior was like jealous, and they had like they, they ended up splitting up because he didn't want to do a movie uh, a, a song for a soundtrack for a movie like Top Gun. Everyone just like basically thought that nobody wanted to go see a movie starring a guy named Tom Cruise flying an aircraft uh, and flying an airplane. Like you know what I mean? Like no one. Like I mean, I, I, it kind of makes sense because like prior to Top Gun, was there ever a movie that was a box office sensation about dudes flying planes no i mean there there were several obviously apocalypse now had its helicopter attack sequence which is you know renowned and and, and brilliant and still a war film though. Ways. uh that's a yeah that one's an actual war film whereas top gun is not because uh, um nobody's really at war in this it's more like posturing yeah, like this movie, it was so successful that it was the highest grossing film of 1986. Like it didn't just make a lot of money. It made the most money in 1986. And Tom Cruise, again, prior to Top Gun, like the dude was in Risky Business. So people knew who Tom Cruise was. He was also in, uh, I think he was in like, exactly. Uh, but he wasn't, like he had never starred in a movie as big as Top Gun. And no, so, he was I in like know. a sex comedy about going to Mexico to get laid or something. I can't remember what it's called. But <laughs> but he, he hadn't he hadn't done anything big. I mean, obviously, he had worked with Ridley Scott on Legend, but Legend was was not a success. No. Um, well, he was in All the Right Moves, Legend, Risky Business, Losing at the oh. Outsiders, Taps and Endless Love. So he had done yeah. like six movies prior or seven movies prior to Top Gun. The biggest being in terms of like. I guess the one that was the most successful was Risky Business. And that is the movie where everyone remembered him as Joel, but specifically because of like the scene where he dances in his underwear. And when he crashes the car, like Risky Business is a great film. It has like some really iconic moments in, in like 1980s uh, teen coming of age movies. Right. Um, so everyone remembered Tom Cruise as the kid from Risky Business. So it was still weird taking the kid from that movie and putting, putting him in, the in a movie like like top gun where he has to fly a mig what is it like a mig 28 uh he flies the f-14 tomcat oh the, F-14 the migs tomcat. are the enemy okay. migs are the enemy crafts okay okay yeah and, and at that point he hadn't really had to carry a movie i mean risky business he's obviously in there but he didn't have to carry the movie um no right and it's right it's you're right it says right here in preparation for his role tom cruise was allowed to take three rides in the f-14 tomcat uh, it's yeah. also <laughs> like it's that's also, cemented by the way the f-14 is the coolest fighter jet of all time that movie did like I, I people remember i can remember the name of the f-14 i couldn't tell you i know there's an f-16 i don't know what it looks like but the f-14 is like an iconic look now because of that movie 
I think everything in this movie is an iconic look. I think his his aviator, his like aviators, his, yeah, yeah. I mean, every, his bomber like, jacket, the bomber jacket, the jeans, the the shades. Uh, I mean, even the watch. I mean, the, the dude's wearing the watch during the volleyball sequence, like, and he looks at the watch. Like, I mean, I don't know if that was product placement, but he looks at the watch like maybe seventeen times. So I was like, that's got to be product placement because why would he be wearing a watch playing volleyball? It's just who wears a watch playing volleyball, right? It's weird. Um, right. But I don't know. I really, really, really enjoy this movie. I don't think I, I, I think it's a really good movie. I think, again, it's fascinating. I, I think it changed a lot for everyone involved, from the producer to the director to the editor to the cinematographer to, of course, the cast. And I just like I think it's one of those movies that's just easy to watch again and again and again like maybe okay maybe you're not going to sit down and watch it from start to finish but if it's on tv like i can see people just not changing the channel and being okay with watching top gun yeah i think what it is it's a series of i don't want to call them happy accidents like they had nothing like there was no skill involved i don't want i don't mean that but you know it takes you can have all the skill in the world that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily end up with a great movie right um, I think any filmmaker would say that it takes a little bit of luck to actually come up with something like a Top Gun. Um, a lot of people set out with those in mind and that they don't achieve it. They had everything kind of work. It doesn't have a great script. I would say that, like the, the shots of the actual, you know, during during some of the conversations, the non-flying scenes, it's a little flat. Tony Scott was still sort of honing his, uh, his look um, and his directing style which I think he got better as he went on. And then he, you know, he, he kind of culminated with sort of the man on fire and taking of Pelham one, two, three. And um, that sort of, he, he turned into a sort of a different filmmaker. Um, but between the shots of the planes of which there are a ton, which are super cool, which Tony Scott was there to film that. Uh, so, you know, I'll do credit to, to him for that. The, the charisma of the actors, even if they didn't have chemistry, they had a lot of a lot of big actors, people who would go on to become big actors, who just they had it, you know, good casting, plus the 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 mu- great musical uh, music soundtrack, which all three of those things mixed together make this movie work, even when so much in it probably shouldn't work. I think it's a movie that's made up of several like many actually many great scenes and great performances and although the the entire film like overall like as you said like the script is kind of weak it doesn't really i don't know how to explain it it's like it, it feels like it's missing like je ne sais quoi for making it like a really amazing movie like an actual great film and it, it does have to, a lot that it has to do with the screenplay but I'm not entirely sure like what they can do to really make this a great film based on a script that we have. Like I kind of feel like there's got to be an answer without without a- actually having to rewrite the entire film because like what I do yeah. like about it is whenever we do get a movie that is about the navy or the army, it's always in the middle of a war or a battle. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's something going on over the Indian Ocean, but that's not really the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is it's a coming of age film. It's a coming of age. It's Tom Cruise playing Maverick, who's coming of age. He's 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 you know like we, there is a backstory with his dad. 
Um, and and like you know what I mean? Where it's just like it's about it's all about him and the decisions that he has to make to be a better pilot, to be a better person. And I don't know. And like, that's that's why you get the kid from Risky Business, which was also a coming of age story. I think that ultimately they they recognize that and they're like, okay, he can do this. He can do this transition from boy to man, which is kind of what also happens in Risky Business. Yeah, because um, like if you if you had reversed it and you put Val Kilmer in the leading role, I don't think it would work. I think maybe people would prefer Val Kilmer or they think they would prefer Val Kilmer because I, I think like ladies at the time or even now, I think they just think he's a better looking dude. Like, I don't know. I think the, the problem with Tom Cruise from a lot of the women that I know, like my friends, they they think that he's like it's not that he's not bad looking they just think he's short which he is he's like five seven and i was like reading the trivia and apparently he had to like stand on some sort of like lift or something because he was so much shorter than kelly mcgillis and humphrey so bogart like, style he had to do yeah, the same thing <laughs> exactly but i don't think this would work if val kilmer was playing maverick I, I think val kilmer is just too cool and too manly and too alpha and too like you know he's Iceman. <laughs> like he's perfectly cast as Iceman. uh maybe you know there's always actors out you know, there's always unknown actors and great actors that, that we don't know about like there could have been a million people who could have played the role but again like tom cruise just became maverick moving forward like in real life <laughs> like i really mm -hmm. feel like he's just maverick and he's never ever walked away <laughs> from that character which is why it doesn't surprise me that now in 2020 he's making a sequel he's made a sequel and it's ready to come out like i don't know what took so long yeah it'll be interesting to see i mean tom cruise other than the mission impossibles doesn't really make sequels so um it'll be interesting to see what what he ends up doing with that character because there wasn't you know, what kind of growth does he want his new character to have and how much are they going to focus on the Miles Teller character, you know, the son of Goose that that'll it'll be interesting to see that. Um, but, yeah, with that, we should probably wrap up the first part of our review. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our uh, our five questions. OK. And uh, in between, here's another clip from Top Gun. Excuse me, Lieutenant. Is there something wrong? Yes, ma'am. The data on the MIG is inaccurate. How's that, Lieutenant? Well, I just happened to see a MiG-28. We, we, sorry, yes. We happened to see a MiG-28 do a 4G negative dive. Where did you see this? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Lieutenant, I have top secret clearance. The Pentagon sees to it that I know more than you. Oh, ma'am, it doesn't seem so in this case now, does it? So, Lieutenant, where exactly were you? Well, we Thank you. started up on his six when he pulled through the clouds, and then I moved in above him. Well, if you were directly above him, how could you see him? Because I was inverted. <coughs> no, he was, man. It was a really great move. He was inverted. You were in a 4G. Inverted dive with a MiG-28? Yes, ma'am. At what range? No, about two meters. Well, it's actually about one and a half, I think. He was one and a half. I've got a great Polaroid of it. And he's, he's right there. Must be one it and a half. It was a nice picture. It was a half. Uh, Thanks. Lieutenant. What were you doing there? <laughs> Communicating. Communicating. Keeping up foreign relations. I was, you know, giving him the bird. 
You know, the finger. Yes, I know the finger, Goose. Okay, that was another clip from Top Gun. And we've reached the point of the podcast where we now ask our five questions, sort of parse this thing out a little bit more, uh, break it down some. But we like to start off positive. Always like to start off positive. So, Rick, what is your favorite scene from Top Gun? Man, I don't know. I, I feel like there's so many great scenes in this movie. Like, I really, 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 really love the scene in the diner when they sing Great Balls of Fire. I think there's so much chemistry between those two actors. Of course, we're talking about Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards, but also Meg Ryan's fantastic. I love all of the air footage, the aerial footage, the footage of the planes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's so hard. Um the, the volleyball scene, I mean, it's hilarious. And, but I mean, <laughs> yes, honestly, it is. I'm, I'm not going to say it's my favorite scene or it's even close to being a great scene. It's just, it's the scene that everyone talks about. It somehow became the iconic scene of Top Gun now, you know, in 2020, like looking back, like and it's because of Tarantino, right? Okay, mm-hmm. Since he wrote that speech about how homoerotic the, the movie is and pointed towards the, uh, the volleyball sequence. I really do like the scene in which he hits on her for the first time in the bar and they sing the song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. So it's between that and Great Balls of Fire. I don't know. I don't know which one I like more. Uh, I mean, those are good scenes and those are endlessly rewatchable scenes, I think. Um, I would put the bar scene above Great Balls of Fire, though, and I would put as my favorite scene, I like the first briefing when he actually meets Charlie as Charlie. When she walks in and realizes that he just hit on who's going to essentially be a super, not a superior officer because she's still a civilian, so you do not salute her. Remember, Michael Ironside says that. Um, but he realizes that she's going to have some authority there, and he like kind of tries to sort of shield his face for a second because he's embarrassed. I think you get to see a whole the whole range, the whole character of Maverick in one scene. How he's still childlike embarrassed because he just realizes that he hit on you know an authority the previous night. And then you also get to see the cockiness uh, as she tells him about, you know, what what sort of dive a MiG can do, and he claims that, you know, it can do this absurdly. Like by the way, pilots have laughed at the at the speech that he gives about the how many G's. I think it was like a negative four G dive. I think several pilots said a person would be dead if that was <laughs> the force would have killed them already at that point. Um, but regardless, it's still pretty cool how he he shifts back to being Maverick, though so he's sort of flirting with her within that scene. And, of course, there's the whole, you know, keeping up foreign relations gag, uh, which I love. And you sort of see his interaction with Val Kilmer for the first time in that scene. Uh, I love everything about that that briefing scene, that outdoor, like, when they're in the hangar uh, briefing scene. That's my favorite one. I mean, it's a really great scene. And I think it's better than the scenes that I actually mentioned. And again, I, I do like, it's also not just his reaction, but it's the, it's how he and goose both react and sort of like, because they're, he's clearly embarrassed. And I guess goose to some extent is embarrassed too, but then the way they come back and then all of a sudden are like the cool guys again. And then mm-hmm. you got Iceman staring them down again. Like he always does throughout the entire film in the background. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a great scene. Yeah. I mean, and it's a good scene, good scene for her character, too, because she gets to go from wanting to assert her authority to being thrown off guard by this new information that he was the pilot that was involved in the classified incident that she had read about. And now she she sort of her defenses go down for a second in that scene where she 
and she has to try to reassert her authority and and get back her you know control of the situation there's just a little bit of a, a, a pairing and thrusting going on there that i that i like uh it's a it's a good interplay between the two characters all right with that being said if there's one thing that you could change about top gun what would it be what would i change about top gun <laughs> like, i don't know man like i don't think you could change anything like it's, i think it's one of those things like if you change one thing the movie completely falls apart it's like it's like the Jenga. Is that what it's called? Jenga? That game? Yeah. You yeah. move one piece and it all falls apart. <laughs> like, like, what would you change? You're going to change uh, the casting? Like, it'll fall apart. You're going to change the cinematographer? It's going to fall apart. You're going to change the script? It's going to fall apart. Like, I don't think you can change anything. I think you can make little changes. I would give Kelly McGillis more of a character in the second half of the movie. I'd give her character a reason to be around more. Um, I, I'd actually have her... I think there are things that she could do. There are situations she could actually help Tom Cruise grow up a little bit more by fighting with him a little bit more, uh, which she doesn't really do. I would change the sex scene because it's so oh. bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It's like, it's like, and I, I talked about this earlier. It's not just the lighting. It's the fact that like Tom Cruise, like, it, like he does not look like he knows how to even kiss. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just so bizarre. And, it, and they get the close-ups, too. It's like, when you get into the editing room and you notice that he's biting her and it's like he's trying to, like, eat her face, like, can't you, I don't know, change the camera angle or something? I'm sure the editor looked at Tony Scott and Tony Scott <laughs> shrugged and was like, this is all the footage that we've got, man. we we got to make something out of this. But, you know, <laughs> the can't... thing is, like, I don't think Tom Cruise has been in many, if any, sex scenes after. Like, uh, maybe Jeremy far the only one I can think of. I mean, obviously, Eyes Wide Shut was weird. And he wasn't in a sex in scene in Eyes Wide Shut, though. He never. Oh, he was with Nicole Kidman. Movie. He he was with Nicole Kidman at the beginning. Well, not like a total sex scene, but they're standing in front of the mirror, kind of she, you know, doing their thing. Um, but I know. Okay, he was in a scene with uh, Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. That's the only other one I can really think of. I'm sure he's been in other, like, I, I mean, in, in Rain Man, he had moments, but they never really had a sex scene, per se, except for when, Ray, you know, Raymond interrupts them. Yeah, he's not really a lover. <laughs> like, other than Jerry Maguire, which worked very well, I think. But, uh, but yeah, outside of that, he's not really good. He's not really good for that. Um, I, I will say, well, one other thing I would change is I would get rid of the parrot in Kelly McGillis's house because it's super distracting to me, and I keep wondering why she has a parrot. Isn't this just a temporary home? And yet it seems like... I don't know. Why do they put a parrot back there? She doesn't strike me as a parrot owner. <laughs> I don't know why that bothers me so much. Like, But there's a parrot in her house. Like, she has a parrot. How much money does she make? Like, that can't be her home. From my understanding, she's renting the home, right? So the home belongs... It's like an Airbnb yeah. back in the 80s type of situation, only it's a mansion yeah. instead of an apartment. This is a temporary assignment, and then she was going to move on to Washington, D.C. She wasn't permanently assigned to this Top Gun facility. And parrot owners are... I don't want to say they're eccentric to any parrot owners out there, but there you got to, it says something about her character that they never fully explore. And it always bugged me that that parrot is back. So there. my dad had a parrot. So the parrot actually, oh. it was, it was my uncle who had a parrot. So you know, basically the parrot had like three or four owners previously and they all died. And so the parrot was given to my dad to take care of the parrot because no one else wanted the parrot. He came from okay. Brazil and apparently they smuggled the parrot in you via a coke bottle so they would give the parrot some kind of drug so he he would fall asleep they put the parrot inside a coke bottle they oh smuggle God. him in so they bring the <laughs> they bring the parrot oh, no. into the airplane <laughs> bring him into canada 
apparently, I, I mean, it sounds like animal cruelty, but whatever. They were trying to uh, save putting a parrot in a Coke bottle sounds like. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't know. Does. Anyways, so the parrot was like my dad. So my dad had this parrot. It spoke like three languages, Portuguese, French and English. And it was a really cool parrot. He used to just walk around the house like, you know, it was like actually super cool. And my dog ate the parrot. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I did not see the story they, going they got, there. They got into a fight. The parrot used to walk around the kitchen. I don't know what happened. I'm guessing the parrot snapped at my dog. And we got home and the dog ate the parrot. It was eating the parrot. The parrot was like basically dead. It was eating the corpse. Anyhow, back to Top Gun. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why they have a parrot. Like a parrot's an expensive pet. Like it's you don't like, there's no way a lady like this has a parrot. Like I'm sorry, like that's, what it's like a forty to sixty year commitment. No. Like like if it was Michael Ironside, his character, Jester, if Jester had yes. a parrot, it would make sense. Yes, that would absolutely make sense. But because he seems like a guy who's super committed to his you know, his profession and everything like that, he's there for the duration. He's gonna be there for life and he can be there for that parrot as well. I see her as somebody who moves around a lot. She doesn't really know where she's going at the moment. She's freelancing. She's not a parrot owner. Anyway, I would change that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So that being said, keep in mind the parrot is eligible for this. Uh, who is the MVP of Top Gun? Tom Cruise. And I don't know. Like, you could say Tony Scott, but, man, Tom Cruise. Like, I, I think Tom Cruise is the reason why this movie works for some – I mean, we, we've talked about why. Like, the, the fact that it's a coming-of-age film, the fact that – they took the guy, the kid who played Joel in Risky Business and put him in this movie where he's supposed to become, go from boy to man. And there's just something about Tom Cruise. Like, I mean, this is why Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is a superstar because of Top Gun. You take Tom Cruise out of Top Gun, it's just a movie about people flying airplanes. No one gives a shit. I don't care who's in it. I don't care if Meg Ryan's in it. I don't care if Val Kilmer's still in it. I don't care if Tony Scott's still directing and they, they still have the incredible aerial footage we can say that we love the camera shots of the airplanes in the sky uh all of that's great the cinematography is great great the edit you know like the soundtrack we've we've already mentioned is fantastic and even won an oscar but tom cruise is the star of top gun when you mention top gun the first thing everyone thinks about is the volleyball scene the second thing is top as tom cruise right <laughs> So that volleyball is really the star. Um, see, okay, so hey, man, they have a close-up of the little... volleyball right before it starts. He's spinning right. it on his finger. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I, I would, I would beg to differ a little bit. Um, I, I'm, I was debating whether or not I, I, w I wouldn't say Tony Scott is the MVP of this movie. Although I'm sure there's a lot of wheeling and dealing that Tony Scott did behind the scenes that made a lot of this possible. That, that actually, so in, in a sense, he could be the MVP just for that, for convincing everybody to get involved. Or the producers for Bruckheimer and Simpson and Bruckheimer. I'm not sure if this was both of them at the time, but uh, um, for convincing everybody to get involved. But I was going back. Don Simpson was was a producer. Jerry Bruckheimer was a producer. Yeah, so it is Simpson and Bruckheimer. I, yeah. I didn't know if their partnership had formed at this point yet. Um, but I was going back and forth when I was thinking about this question between – Either well, there wasn't just one band who did this, the soundtrack, so it was hard for me to pick one because I think Highway to the Danger Zone and Take My Breath Away are both both hold a lot of responsibility for why this movie is so popular and so watchable. Uh, I think Take My Breath Away gets played a little bit more, so I'd give the edge to that one. But I think I'm going to go with the United States Navy as the MVP of this for letting their planes and their pilots be used. I am going to say that the footage for me is what I could have actually watched this without Tom Cruise. 
and I would have been, I would have still been like, oh my gosh, this this is this is just too awesome. Uh, and it's kind of the, for the same reason that whenever the military does get involved and allows their actual equipment to be used, there there's some kind of extra oomph that goes along with things. When I think of movies like Black Hawk Down, it would not have been in the same without the equipment in there. And Ridley Scott wisely like makes the camera linger on those Black Hawk helicopters uh, that the military allowed him to use. And, you know, or we were soldiers once, how they're, they're, they also were renting their helicopters from the, the military and make sure to show them a lot. And just seeing that technology, I don't know what it is about that. I don't know why I'm so drawn to it or the people are so drawn to it, but there's, it represents something. And I think that the, the these planes, by the way, these, these acrobatic maneuvers that they do are just incredible. It's almost like even watching a, a jet fighter do ballet up there. And I, I'm just I'm hypnotized by it. So I, I, I'm going to give it to the Navy for actually having... I, we've seen planes in other movies flying around, but there's something about military planes, authentic military planes doing this, with authentic military pilots doing it, that, I don't know, to me, it's that that to me is the MVP, and I could have watched this with other actors. They, they all do a great job, and I'm Tom Cruise is definitely a movie star, but, man, without those flying scenes, I'm not sure there's as much of a movie here. I mean, I will, I will agree if you were to say the actual names of the stunt pilots, like because there was a stunt pilot, Art Scroll, who was killed sure. during production. He was like 54 years old, and he died while filming the movie. Um, so there was also the guy I mentioned earlier who became an astronaut, who's the guy who actually performs all the stunts. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to mention the U.S., navy it's the navy right yeah I, I would just... say all of them involved like whatever they like them allowing their their planes and their pilots and their aircraft carriers to be part of this movie makes it to me what it would have become so that I, makes i it mean to say so the cool. u.s navy and then put them at the top of the list like those stuntmen who are actually pilots for the u.s navy like that yeah. makes a lot of sense because without those guys actually flying the planes, like you wouldn't get the actual aerial footage that Tony those Scott wanted. Incredible maneuvers, incredible maneuvers, like guys who knew these planes so well to be able to do stuff that looks so dangerous and not real. Like they would never have people do that nowadays. I, I don't think they would just CG these, these jets. And they, I hope they don't for, for the, you know, the Top Gun sequel, but uh, it makes all the difference seeing a real plane do this stuff. So, um, if you look at the trivia page, I mean, it's so long, and about 90% of the trivia is so-and-so person turned down the job to work on Top Gun doing so-and-so. It's like yeah. everyone from Bruce Springsteen to David Cronenberg to, like, like it's just crazy <laughs> the number of people who turned down either a role or making a song or directing like for some reason nobody wanted to work in this movie which does happen a lot in movies i mean you always have these actors turn down roles all the time the movies the script might have looked i i know that the original script looked a little bit different um and again the the navy had the final say over the script and so they had to cut out a lot of things that were maybe like less than i don't know they they, they weren't as positive uh in their looks at the military but or their depictions um I believe part of it was that the original originally they were going to be that they were going to be they were going to lose like some of their engagements or something like that and the military kind of nixed that and they transferred everything out into neutral 
They didn't. The military also didn't want any particular country. I think there was a particular country involved originally, and the military did not want that. They just so they just changed it to the kind of this faceless thing out in neutral territory, you know, over the ocean, where nobody was really at war. So they didn't want it to look like we were actually going to war with anybody. Um, in the uh, documentary, they interviewed some of the people from the U.S. Navy, and they said that they were supposed to have final approval of the screenplay, which I guess they did. But then while filming, they changed lines and made adjustments, which the U.S. Navy wasn't happy about. Um, sure. Also, if... Okay, here's my question. I know we're, we're, we have the traditional five questions, but I'm going to, like ask a question really quick if the hunger wasn't tony scott's first movie because top gun was his second movie would this would, would would top gun be considered one of the great directorial debuts of all time like first oh, time features absolutely just because of the the technical achievement that it was getting all that footage and combining it all and combining a screenplay into something that was that, that makes sense and still produces the right emotions, the emotions that they were going for. Absolutely. Yeah. This would completely would be one of the best debuts of all time. He made the hunger, which is, I think it's a good film prior to the hunger. Apparently he made a movie called loving memory, but I'm not entirely sure if it's a full length feature. I think it's actually a short. I'm not sure. He made a bunch of shorts clearly. Cause he was a filmmaker in like film school and stuff. But mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like for your second movie to be top gun, that's like an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, it's you know not too far off from what his brother did because I, I know his brother Ridley's first movie was The Duelists and then his second movie was Alien. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna that's quite a that's quite a leap to make as well. Um, yeah, I, I, a, it, there's no question that this and Tony Scott ended up having like some stone cold classics uh, uh, later on in his career as well. I, I regard Man on Fire very, very, very highly as one of the best revenge movies of all time. And Crimson Tide to me is um, a, another solid, very, very solid military movie. Better, better than Top Gun as a movie. Uh, it might not be as rousing as Top Gun is and, you know, as awesome. But as, as a movie, it's a much better screenplay and uh, much better drama much more works much better as a thriller I, I totally agree I'm, I'm a huge fan of tony scott like i love all of his movies even his worst movie i still find incredibly enjoyable i love the train movie um what's it yeah, called taking again? a pelham one two no, three. no 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 that one i like the original better the 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 movie where the train doesn't stop moving with denzel um that was with denzel wait what no i don't know which one you're talking about um unstoppable Oh, Unstoppable, of course. Yes. Unstoppable is a great movie, man. I'm telling you, it's a fantastic movie. Um, but here's the thing. like When we talk about how this movie changed Hollywood, how it made Tom Cruise a star, and Meg Ryan a star, and Val Kilmer a star, and Tony Scott a star, and so on and so forth, um, the film is also credited as starting the home video industry. Yeah, like VHS tapes were priced at $100 when they were first released. We talked about this on a podcast a bunch of times. And for some reason, they decided to change the pricing of the VHS for Top Gun so they can sell it. And I think the, the way it worked was that Pepsi bought ad space at the beginning of the tape. And so they were able to decrease the price of the movie. Therefore, oh, that's when people started actually buying VHS. Because prior to that, you would have to own a video store and you would have to buy every single copy for like a hundred dollars plus and then rent them to try to make back the profit 
Right, exactly. Yeah, which is the way that rentals kind of went up, you know, all, all the way through to, you know, as long as VHSs were there and even DVDs, you know, they paid an extremely high price to get the movies first. They would rent them out for as long as they could. They'd rake in as much money as they could. And then uh, and later on, the movie would actually go into sale to the consumer public uh, for its nineteen ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine. Interesting model that's completely gone now. <laughs> um, all right, so. A great debut for Tony Scott, but does it, or sorry, it's not his debut, but it would have been a great debut. Uh, does it pass the Howard Hawks test? So the Howard Hawks test, of course, is a, a great movie, has to have three great scenes and no bad ones. No, because it has top. a bad scene. It, it has at least one bad scene. I think the sex scene is bad. I just think it's bad. And, the, <laughs> and it's bad because the fact that they actually, the, the fact that they actually decided to film the scene and shove it into the movie after the movie was technically finished because of a bunch of people at a, a, a test screening. We all know test screenings never work. They always give the worst responses. I don't know who these people are, how they choose and decide who to invite to a test screen. I think it was just a mistake. The elevator scene works. That's fan That was a great scene to add in afterwards. But the sex yes. scene doesn't work. And it's like you said, they add the sex scene. They don't really stay as a couple. And she they lose focus on her in the, in the second half of the film. So it's just like, it's just weird. It's just a weird scene. Yeah, as soon as they have sex, they're kind of done. That's it's it. Over. The relationship's yeah. over. Like, uh, so that's bad. I would also say that the scene where he uh, goes to Meg Ryan after Goose has died, it's not poorly acted by the actors, but I think it's a bad scene because, again, it has nothing to do with Meg Ryan. It's like, look at me. I'm Maverick. I'm sad. Never mind that this woman just lost her, her husband and her kid is now fatherless. It becomes all about absolving Maverick of of any guilt. Well, but the thing is, when Goose dies, the movie is no longer as good. I mean, he's he's. I mean, we sh we should. I should have maybe said he's the v uh, MVP of the film, because when Anthony Edwards, when Goose dies, like, I mean, every scene afterwards is problematic. Like even when Iceman approaches him in the washroom, which again is a very weird scene. Like he's like. Uh, what does he say? He's like, Goose is dead. Like, we know Goose is we, dead. He knows Goose all, is dead. We all Everybody like knows Goose I... is dead. Everybody. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, why are you in the washroom creeping up on me? Like, while I'm shaving. It's so weird. He's, tr he's trying to apologize or say something nice. He's saying, yeah. you know, we all liked him. We all liked Goose. Not not you, Maverick, but we all liked Goose. Uh, um, which seems like they actually did like Goose. Uh, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say that every scene after Goose is problematic. I think you've got something good there. You you know, and it's good to have Maverick questioning himself. Here was the hot shot. He was doing the flybys. He was having too much fun. It was a big game to him. Well, now he's learned it's not a game. And I think you, there are some interesting character things you can do. Like, I like when he goes up and he disengages from training because he, he gets scared, right? And, uh, you know, they're trying to sort of coax him back and get some of that confidence back that he needs to have. I like that stuff. and I think that stuff works. I just don't think it works that he turns into kind of like the whole world revolves around him where everybody forsakes any semblance of being a fully fleshed out human being and they become simply just something that supports maverick and if you don't support maverick then you don't need to be in the movie so yeah i there but i think that you know i don't particularly care for the meg ryan scene i thought that there was like it just wasn't necessary again no problem with the actors and how they handle it i just think it's written as like he doesn't so much have sympathy for her as she has to comfort him i know it's very <laughs> so, weird i thought the exact same thing 
Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. But I mean, so I yeah. But I don't that, think that's the thing. That's why like the movie feels like more of a bromance. It's it's about his relationship with yeah. Goose. Because yep. like th- I'm telling you, I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, this is so strange. It's her husband. He died. She's the wife. Why is she comfort? Like why? Like <laughs> like you should be helping her out, dude. Yeah. Yeah, Stan, I mean, especially because you were partially responsible. Even though it was an accident, it wasn't like he screwed up or something. It just sort of was a thing that happened. Um, but, you know, you should be the one <laughs> trying to make it up for her. Uh, and maybe maybe the new movie will deal with that. Who knows? Maybe he's got some guilt as to how, how he, that whole thing went down and how he treated her. Uh, all right, so last but not least, do you think that there's an audience for Top Gun still? And what do you think that audience is? Well, yes. I mean, they're making a sequel. Who the audience is, I'm not sure. I mean, clearly there is the fans of the original film, the people who grew up in the 80s and 90s who watched the movie over and over. Um, people who like Tom Cruise, I guess. It's it's weird, though, because like, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I, I honest to God haven't watched the trailer. I don't like to watch trailers of movies because nowadays the trailer is like five minutes long. They show you the whole goddamn movie in the trailer, so I just avoid them like a plague. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure what the new movie is about, apart from the fact that I know Tom Cruise is in the movie. But I'm kind of like guessing that uh, maybe it's about um, like it's like, how do I explain this? Like things like times are changing. Things are changing. Technology is evolving. Like, do, does the U.S. Navy even need these sort of pilots anymore? Um, I think that's what it's going to address. I'm not entirely sure. It could be really interesting. It really depends on thematically what they do with the film. Like you you don't necessarily want to do the exact same movie as Top Gun, which was made in 1986. It wouldn't make sense, first of all. I mean, the guy, I mean, because I was told like when I read um, about the movie, like he has a child, right? Like he does, does get married and has kids. So I don't know. Like, I don't know how to answer your question. I just think that, yes, there is an audience for this type of movie. And I think the reason why is, and I'm guessing because it's Tom Cruise and he performs his own stunts, I think they're actually going to, like, use real airplanes, I hope. I hope it's not CGI. And I think when you look at, um... by the way, who's directing a new movie? Do you know? Uh, it's the same guy who directed him in Oblivion, I believe. You remember mm-hmm. that movie? The guy who did the Tron sequel? Yeah, for some reason the name escapes me. Yeah, my, me too, um, um, because his movies kind of escape me. But but hopefully he's got a better, you know, uh, Cruz is a good good producer of his own stuff. I think he, he knows how to produce a movie. Him and Paul Wagner, I would imagine, are producing this. But The thing is, is what I'm trying to get at is I feel like nowadays action movies are like over the top and it's like a video game. It's like Fast and the Furious is like, it's like, it's like a video game. I mean, there is actually a video game based on the franchise, like the, the films, but the actual movies themselves, it feels like a video game. Like I can't get into it. Like, I don't know why everyone loves it. I'm like, I'm watching the movie. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, you watch a bunch of James Bond movies, like, especially back in the day. And you're like, well, what, what the hell they're in space. Like there's all these crazy gadgets and <laughs> it's like, it's over the top. It's unbelievable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, but it's like, it's, it's, it's worse nowadays because of oh, God, CGI, yes. right? Um, at least back in the days, even with the Bond films, you can you can laugh at it. It's kind of like funny with the gadgets yeah. and everything. It's kind of like it's kind of clever. Their but action kind of scenes feel... aren't full of noise like right. today's. But I kind are. of feel like this is gonna hopefully like the new Top Gun is gonna go back to the days. When I say the days, like the eighties, late eighties, early nineties of action movies where it was more grounded in reality and the action was there and there was suspense, but it was believable and. I think it's really going to focus on character 
like that that is what i hope and so i don't know i really do think there's an audience i think people are just like kind of i know it still makes a lot of money the fast and furious movies but like i mean when you think of action movies nowadays like i'm really still a big fan of mission impossible and i think the mission impossible films are probably the best in terms of action movies that come out like the james bond films are great but um there's not as much action in a james bond film these days i don't think i mean there is to some extent maybe there is maybe i'm wrong but anyways the point is <laughs> i really do think there's an audience if they go back to the the way they used to make action movies well do you think that top gun the original still has an audience because i i think you're going to be right on top gun too i don't think he's going to take this into mission impossible territory which is like you said, it's it's the most tolerable, I think, of the modern day action movies because they do try to keep it somewhat grounded and they do do a lot of real things. They do actual stunts, which is nice to see. Uh, they, they have him do things that are completely unbelievable as well. Um, you know, I remember him swirling around the water and you know trying to pull a disc out of a giant. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he does his own stunts, but in the movie, yeah. when he does one thing after the next, after the next, yeah. after the next. It becomes unbelievable because like, the guy's got to yeah. be the luckiest guy in the world to not die. But it's closer to reality than, than, you know, a Marvel superhero movie is, right? Or a Transformers yeah. movie. So it, it is definitely closer than anything like that. So it makes it a, a little more watchable. I don't think Top Gun's going to stray into that territory. He's not going to be leaping, you know, across buildings and stuff like that. So it all depends on how they shoot the planes. But <sighs> Top Gun for me actually holds up really well. Oh, for sure. Be those action scenes of the planes, I think... Anybody can watch those. I think that the, the editing is done so skillfully in this that anybody can get a thrill out of that. I mean, I felt my heart pumping when that when that was going off, and the music works. But I was trying to watch it. You know, I always try to watch these movies without the nostalgia attached. Does it actually work as a movie? And man, they, those action scenes still kill. They absolutely kill. They're they're totally thrilling. Still, it's it's. Because of where they put the camera on those planes, you get this real rush and sense of speed. I can only imagine, too young, but I can only imagine what it would have been like seeing this on a big screen. Um, back in the day, it would have been, I've never seen Top Gun in a theater. This would have been an absolute killer, like, on a, on a big screen. You would have been blown away by the, the planes. I, I, I would, I mean, I, I, don't, I would love to see the original Top Gun on a big screen. I, I remember... So I remember when I was in school and everyone was talking about Top Gun. I was like probably like the last kid in my class that actually watched a movie. And so I went down to the video store and of course I rented a movie and like whatever. I remember I watched it with my friend Julia and Victor. And uh, they had already seen it. I hadn't seen it. But in class, like the day before I rented the movie and watched it for the first time, the big argument in class was the boys thought the movie was so cool because of the planes. And mm -hmm. the jackets, like the bomber jackets. The mm -hmm. girls just could not stop talking about Tom Cruise, right? So, <laughs> so I, I think, and I, I know my, I, I, uh, my nephew and my niece, my, I think it was my youngest nephew, they watched the original Top Gun because they were getting ready to watch the new movie. And they, they both say they like the film. Like, I mean, they're not crazy about it, but they think it's a good movie. Like, they actually legit think it's a good movie. They just wouldn't probably watch it over and over. I think we right. could watch it over and over because of nostalgia, because of the soundtrack, because of memories, because of whatever. Um, but yeah, for sure, there's clearly an audience because, look, the soundtrack is too good. The cast is too awesome. The aerial footage and the cinematography and 
like it's just it's just so good like and the thing about the movie is like i'm actually curious to know how long is this movie because it flies by like there's no tomorrow it feels like the movie is exactly like an hour and 10 minutes long it doesn't feel long at all yeah it doesn't because there's well there's not a ton of substance to it it's <laughs> it's basically uh it's all pretty much fluff i mean there's there's so much flying luckily luckily there is in the movie that uh, that it takes up a lot of time it's 110 minutes i mean it's pretty much right in line with oh wow with what yeah a normal... you're right 110 minutes i was totally yeah. on point yeah with what a normal like hollywood script should have been back then like it, it lasts just about as long as the movie should yeah this movie costs 15 million to make nowadays 15 million is the, is the salary you would pay tom cruise you you probably pay tom cruise double 15 million like i don't know what his salary is but you know what i mean it's like, it's like crazy to think that they made this movie for 15 million like it's insane i know and even after you know 15 million granted was it was a lot more money back then but it still wasn't a mega blockbuster it's not like them spending 15 million wasn't the equivalent of them spending 200 million dollars on, no, on a marvel but movie it made 356 mil exactly. at the box office in 1986 and Which then would it's be, made you know, money since on video on you know etc etc it's just continued to absolutely. make money on dvds and and yeah i mean can you imagine what your check would be what do you call it? like a, uh, the royalty check royalties yeah like what what would it be if you're just an extra on top gun like you would probably get like 100 bucks a year i don't think you get royalties for being an extra oh no 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 i think you have to be that has to be negotiated in your contract, I believe. I was listening to the J.J. Reddick podcast, who's a basketball player, but he has a podcast. And he's also been in a few movies and TV shows. He, he was in uh, Dawson's Creek, for example. Oh, no, not Dawson's Creek. Um, the uh, One Tree Hill. Anyhow, and so he was he, he and a few like, – he had a few few uh, basketball players on his podcast who had also been on movies. And they were talking about the royalty check that they get from these movies. So they get it, and they were just extras. And he's a name, though I think, and that's probably that's probably why, right? Like maybe his agent negotiated that, like, hey, yeah, he wants to be in this movie, but he, he wants a little bit of residual. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm not uh, talking about like the person in the background who's like, oh, sure. Like I'm talking about someone who actually has yeah. at least one line of dialogue type thing. Sure, sure. Like Tim Robbins definitely is getting some re residuals from this. Yeah, like I uh, was an extra in like a few <laughs> movies, like Snake Eyes, for example. Like uh, you know, a few movies shot in Montreal, but I'm not getting any any like I'm not getting money for it. Like they they pay me on the spot to sit in a chair and watch like a boxing match. <laughs> right, mean? exactly. But like right. I don't I didn't have a line of dialogue, so I'm not gonna keep on getting money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if this movie, if the new movie sparks interest in the old movie. I think there are a couple of barriers to the old movie for the younger generation. And one is they are used to a faster pace. With they're used to more explosions and fireworks on the screen uh, with their action movies. But two, like I, I hesitate to say that there are things are just as cheesy in modern day action movies, especially with romance and all that kind of stuff, as they ever were. Like, I don't think anybody's doing romance is any better now, but it does have that 80s feel, and that could be a barrier or something. But, it, okay, it has, it's a product of its time. It has the 80s feel, sure. but do you really think it's cheesy? Like, like I think what, some of it is. What, but, but I'm trying to think of what is cheesy in this movie. Like, the volleyball scene. The volleyball scene is the scene. <laughs> like, that is it's the scene. super cheesy. Because of the slow motion, uh, they're all lubed up. It's like It looks like a softcore porn because that's what he was trying to go for. Yes, right. that scene. 
Um, and like, okay, by the time you get to the end, when he's like, "You could be my wingman anytime," I mean that's super cheesy. Oh yeah, the dialogue. Like, but those one-liners, come on, those one-liners are cheesy, but they're gold. <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff that when you're a writer and you write that, you you pat yourself on the back. You're like, that is an awesome line. I mean, that's <laughs> the stuff people works. quote, right? Like, it works, obviously. Like at the end, you know that people were probably standing up and cheering, right? But like, it is kind of cheesy, and people have cheered for many cheesy lines, so. I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to say. People are are could could a younger audience stick around for some of that banter, that other banter. That's I think everybody was still digs the locker room scene. Everybody's still gonna love the flying because it's just it. There's nothing that looks. There's nothing that's been done since then that looks any better, or is you know is, is shot any better. Um, but I don't know if they can the romance part. Yeah, whatever. But there's a lot of bad romance in you know in modern movies too. It's hard to say. I think as far as the '80s movies go, though, it does have that '80s feel, which is going to be a little bit of a barrier. But it's shot reasonably well. Again, Tony Scott didn't go for anything highly stylized, so it's not going to give off. It doesn't necessarily betray its its decade as much as some of those '70s movies with the handheld cameras do. Um, where they were really trying, you know, trying to go for a grainy film and snap zooms and all that kind of stuff. Scott stayed pretty traditional on this, and that that does help it. Um, but it's hard to say. May, hopefully, people will will get into it with the new movie coming out. But Tom Cruise also isn't a megastar anymore to this new generation. Like he means nothing to them. So that's the other thing for us. Tom Cruise represents movie stardom. To them, he represents crazy guy. Who jumped on the yeah, couch. so I, actually, the thing is, I think you're right. I, I think uh, when people go to see Mission Impossible, it's the brand Mission Impossible. It's not Tom Cruise. Mm. That's right. And they may get dig that he does his own stunts. And yes, it's cool that this guy hung off of the side of a plane as it was taking off. Like they'll they'll think that that's cool, but they won't go see a movie because Tom Cruise is in it. Well, his fan base will. Like I'm like like the like. Like if but you younger, sit in a movie theater and there's like a thousand people in the theater, there might be say like twenty who are diehard Tom Cruise fans, and everyone's just there for, for Mission Impossible. He clearly yeah. has millions of fans. I'm one of his fans, right? Like I, I don't sure. know how many people he has following him on Instagram and Twitter. So those people are going to go see the movie. But overall, it's not like he's he's like I mean I'm trying to think of who who is the biggest star right now. Uh, in Hollywood in terms of like that dude is going to get people in the movie theater. He's going to get butts in a seat. Like, who is it? Nobody. Exactly. So I ask, every, I ask my, my coworkers who are younger, they're, they're mid twenties guys. Uh, I ask them all the time. Who is, who is the movie star? Who would you go see? Well, we, we know who it is. It's Captain America and it's, it's, it's Iron Man. Right. But it's not, it's not necessarily. Yeah. It's not, it's a character. It's not a, a Hollywood actor, actress. So, yep. but but that said, here's the thing though. I still think that big name stars do sell the movie for people who aren't necessarily movie buffs. Uh, you know, like you talk to the average Joe or the average Jane, and you're like Brad Pitt's in this movie, and they're gonna be like, oh yeah, maybe I'll check it out. But if you if you can't mention at least one or two actors in the movie, they're just not even gonna take notice, right? That they recognize, yeah, right. they need to recognize somebody, but that person isn't gonna be what brings them into the theater. It's just gonna validate the existence of the movie, like, oh, that's a name, okay, that's somebody I know. So the movie's le the movie's legitimate. Um, but they're not going to say, "Oh, Brad Pitt's in that movie." I'm there. I don't even care what it's about. Like, but, I'm but that, that's the thing. Like, like because let's say let's say you were making a movie and you really wanted a big star in a movie to 
get people to take notice, but you don't want that person to be the 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 leading role, like the main protagonist or antagonist, whatever. Um, you could just start him in the movie, and then your marketing could just like show flashes of this actor saying like starring Brad Pitt and blah blah blah, and these people wouldn't even know if they're like top billing or if they, th- th- most people would not know if they are top billed or not. They're just they're, they're, they see Brad Pitt's name or like that's good enough, right? The guy could be in the movie for five minutes, but it'll get them to go to the theater watch the damn movie. Sure, <laughs> a perfect literal example of that is Twelve Years a Slave, which used yes. Brad Pitt's name in the marketing, and he is in the movie for five minutes. Well, he did produce that movie, or his production he, company he released did. it. Yeah, yeah. But they used his name in the marketing, in the trailers. Sure. They made sure to say that Brad Pitt was in this movie, and he has almost nothing to do in that movie. So, yeah, and it's a it's a valid way to do that. I mean, I, I have no problem with people doing that. I, I know that some people used to feel a little bit cheated because if you actually, back in the era of movie stars, you wanted to see the movie star. Nowadays, just having a name associated with it is fine. Nobody's going to care that Ryan Reynolds is only in a movie for five minutes if somebody puts his name up there. Like, there'll be some people that go because they think, oh, Ryan Reynolds is the best and he's funny and I want to see him. But, But for the most part, people just, like you say, they just like to see that legitimacy attached to it, and that's about it. I do think there's a few up-and-coming, you know, dudes and dudettes who can maybe be, but it really depends on how the industry evolves or changes or doesn't change. Like, I look at a guy like Tom Holland, and I think Tom Holland could be the next Tom Cruise. I mean, not just because his name's Tom and he's short and he looks like Tom Cruise and, and he <laughs> does his own stunts and he's in action movies, but... Like, yeah, there's something about that guy where he's got the charm, the charisma, he's got the following. Like, he could be, you know, sort of like the next Tom Cruise. But I don't know. Like, we'll see. Um, just quickly before before we wrap up, this movie came out in 1986. In 1986, yes. Platoon also was released, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Completely different kind of movie about the military. In that case, it's actually a war film, but still. Um, do you know what the second highest grossing film of 1986 is? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know when all the Rocky movies were released. A Stallone movie of some sort. It's Crocodile Dundee. Oh, I should have guessed that because I love Crocodile Dundee. It, yeah, it it almost almost beat out Top Gun. Top Gun made just over a million more than Crocodile Dundee, at least stateside. Uh, and Crocodile Platoon, Dundee was a uh, word-of-mouth campaign. They, that was a slow release across the United States. It wasn't something that, like, released all at once. It had to had to really build its campaign and stay in theaters for a long time. But it, it was I, a big year for Paramount because Paramount produced Top Gun and Crocodile Dundee, two movies that they produced for a low, low budget and made a ton of money off of. Platoon oh, yeah. was in third place, and uh, that's pretty amazing, that Platoon. <laughs> like, I can't I, – I, I'm like, what? Platoon third place like really isn't that crazy the movie going audiences were different back then that was yeah. back when a movie like platoon could be the third highest grossing movie of the year that will never i, I shouldn't say that will never happen again but it hasn't happened in a long time and it's not likely to happen anytime soon that also speaks to the quality of platoon though those are three great movies to have as your your top three grocers yeah for sure all I right i mentioned number four and five. <laughs> oh now i, I mean, want to know oh it's the, the karate kid of part two and then oh, Star Trek I mean, Four: The Voyage Home, <laughs> like which is the five. good one. That's the whale one. I know, That's but like... it's it's it's. But you know what? It's weird one though of the best because ones. I I mean maybe I guess yeah. Um, I guess because it is it is a sequel. Star Trek Four: The Voyage. Wait, wait. The wait. Voyage Home is when, yeah, they go back to like save the whales. Right. Yeah, which is a great one. 
That's a, I don't remember. Really, I don't remember it, that movie. It's a really like stupid sounding concept, and it ends up being a great movie. Um, mm. And the Karate Kid Part Two, totally understandable because people were going based on the you know the first Karate Kid. They didn't realize they were going to basically see something that was just a, a rehashing. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but I I don't even know what number six is. Number six is Back to School. Oh, that's Rodney Dangerfield comedy. Wow, and then number seven is Aliens, and then it's the Golden Child, Ruthless People, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's just it's just weird because nowadays, like when you think of these movies, the big names there is Ferris Bueller, still has a huge following. People still watch sure. it today. Aliens, Aliens, clearly, obviously, and then Top Gun. You know, yeah. Uh, the rest of them, like you can just, I mean, I guess Star Trek is a Star Trek, but like those are the big ones. Hey man, Crocodile Dundee had two sequels. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, all right. Aliens was that low. Well, that one was a pretty, pretty violent movie. Not for everybody. Uh, all right. So with that, we should probably wrap things up. We would get spun off on a 1986. A lot of good movies that year. It, it turns out, uh, 80s were not bad. Um, Rick, where can we find you online? You can find me over at Goomba Stomp and Tilt Magazine. It's the new spinoff website. I guess spinoff website. It's a new it's a new website. It's a spinoff of Goomba Stomp. It's where we're putting a good chunk of our film coverage. Uh, the idea is that we just want to sort of separate a lot of our film coverage from our video game coverage. Uh, so the gaming coverage is mostly on Goomba Stomp and the film coverage is on Tilt, although there's still film coverage on Goomba Stomp, so it's kind of confusing. But either way, the, the sites are connected. So go to GoombaStomp.com, and you can find this very podcast. You can listen to the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google. Actually, Google's, they're going to end Google's. Now it's on YouTube Music. It's all confusing. But all of the links are over on the posts over at GoombaStomp.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter, which, again, is confusing because we have the Goomba Stomp Mag Twitter account. <laughs> and then we have the Tilt Magazine or it's Magazine Tilt Twitter account. It's all confusing. We're going through a process in which we're, we are rebranding. But the point is GoombaStomp.com, the website with a strange name and has all the links that you need. Check it out. That is all. All right. Now, I, I, you can't really find me online anywhere right now. You can find old articles of mine on Goomba Stomp. I haven't written anything for quite a while. I hope that's going to change fairly soon, but um, but we'll see how it goes in the coming weeks. However, we are going to try to do Sword and Cinema on a more regular basis here. Now things that are, are settling down, I believe that we're, we've got Waterworld coming next week. Is that not correct? I'm good to do Waterworld next week, and next week is Thanksgiving here in Montreal, so I got like three days, four days off. All right. Well, I I think I think I'm up for Waterworld. I've been looking forward to rewatching that one. It's been a while since uh, since I've seen that one, so look for that next week. Until then, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. It looks like you need another shower. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Your MIG sighting is really important to my work, but, um... I... 
I don't normally invite students to my house. You're, uh... But un please understand, I still have a job to do. Morning, sir. Morning. Shoving in the eye.